0: Welcome to Pocket Economics, a guide to changing lives, our podcast about the ideas shaping the EBRD regions and beyond. I'm Venora Bennett, and today we're discussing green growth, an idea at the very heart of the development agenda. The UN's Sustainable Development Goals, for example, include affordable and clean energy, sustainable cities and communities, responsible consumption and production, and climate action. The Paris Agreement has further focused minds on the concept of green growth. With me is our guest speaker, Sam Fankhauser, professor at the London School of Economics and co-director at the Grantham Research Institute on Climate Change and the Environment. But first, How do we define green growth?
1: Green growth is the confluence of environmental sustainability and economic growth. It supports the creation of wealth, jobs, economic opportunities, and contributes to rising living standards. At the same time, it helps preserve natural resources and environmental public goods, such as clean air and water, for future generations.
0: Sam, would you agree with that definition? What is green growth and why do we need it?
1: It's a very good definition, actually. It's, it's very, very well articulated. Uh, the only thing I would add is that we are, we are not talking about the big departure from the way we measure growth at the moment. Green growth still be expressed in terms of increase in, in income and GDP, but we are adding a few adjectives to that GDP. Uh, it is growth that is low carbon, it is growth that is biodiverse, it's climate resilient, it involves clean air, it involves clean water, and it involves, you know, sort of inclusiveness and, 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 a, and a care for all parts of society.
0: That brings me to the, maybe the most basic question in all this, um, which I've heard people ask. Can growth actually ever be clean or does environmental protection just require, Does it is it code for no growth?
1: That's a question that actually goes a, a long, long, long way back. Sort of the origin of economics, people were always worrying about running out of things. Uh, very well-known economist Stanley Chevens uh, in the mid-19th century was worrying we were running out of coal, uh, which we had, uh, but we haven't in, in the 1970s. The, the Club of Rome that uh, some people might remember limits to growth, the worry that we would run out of oil and minerals, we haven't. Um, there is that sort of tension, we are pushing against planetary boundaries, we are sort of testing the planet in things like greenhouse gas emission, biodiversity loss. But we've also been as as economies, as people been quite good at overcoming those constraints. Progress is is, is, is a great thing to overcome some of those constraints. The example that I like particularly is if you imagine all the information the digital information that we're pinging around in social media on email. If you were Delivering all that in a conventional way by a postman, you would need billions of horses and huge amounts of hay and barley to feed them. It would be wholly unsustainable, but today we can do it.
0: Um, Energy is needed for economic growth, and access to cheap, reliable energy is an essential development objective. So, what would you say the relation is between GDP and energy consumption and greenhouse gases emission?
1: I mean, if you look at the the past, sort of the the, the story of economic development over the last 200 years, um, energy access to clean, secure, safe, modern energy has been a huge contributing factor to welfare and growth. So it's quite clear we do need modern, clean, safe energy. Um, But it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, fossil fuels. It doesn't necessarily have to be energy that emits greenhouse gas emissions. We see renewable energy, we see wind and solar really entering the market, becoming a lot cheaper, in many cases cheaper than the the alternative. So we are today uh, reaching a point when we can have modern energy without polluting the planet.
0: Historically... Um, energy demand's been met through fossil fuels. But green growth, by definition, has to be low carbon. So how can developing countries satisfy satisfy their energy needs while complying with the Paris Agreement at the same time?
1: Well, renewable energy, as as we just described, it has become a lot cheaper. And that is true not just in, in advanced countries, that's true globally. I would say it's especially true globally. One of the first places where renewable Energy, solar panels in particular have found the niche. Some of the first places where they have become cost effective actually is in poor countries. That's partly because poor countries have better solar regimes, they have more sunshine than we do uh, in the UK, Um, but it's also that you have very dispersed, small amounts of energy demand and it can often be much more cost effective to give uh, remote villages uh, solar panels rather than having expensive grid extensions to remote villages that don't consume a lot.
0: Still they won't be able to follow the same carbon intensive growth path as the now developed countries did. Will, will that have an impact on how, how their development shapes up? I,
1: they, they can't, that's absolutely true. They can't sort of do the detour via pollution but I think that is an advantage for, uh, for many of those countries in the sense that they don't have a, a big capital stock of existing power stations and industrial complexes that you would have to write off uh, you know they're, they're building their infrastructure over the next 10 20 30 years so they have the opportunity to build that infrastructure in a climate compatible climate resilient low carbon green way they can still do that in in industrialized countries it's sort of often a story of having to retrofit uh, these concerns into existing capital stocks
0: I like the idea of um, the detour to pollution. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you think developing com- countries are ready for this then and um, what are the short-term adjustment costs that they might still have to face just it's to be negative
1: it's it's a good question whether, whether anybody is ready but i i think we are we have sort of increasingly seen over the last years um on the policy side governments being really committed to supporting low carbon growth by putting in place uh, supporting policies for things like renewable energy. We've also seen those technologies becoming a lot cheaper, which makes it easier to, to roll them out. So I think the countries are ready. That's not to say there won't be any losers. There always are. We, when we're talking about a big, deep structural transformation of the sort we're we talking about, there will be pockets um, of, of, of societies, economies, Coal mining villages, heavy industry uh, areas where, where, where there will be losers, and where we have a, a task and a challenge and, uh, and, and an obligation to help those making the conversion to the green economy. You're listening to Pocket
0: Economics, the EBRD podcast on how economic ideas help change people's lives. I'm Venora Bennett, and today we're discussing green growth with our guest Sam Fankhauser. Sam, so how does one actually put an economy on the path to green growth? And which countries are leading the green race?
1: Well, it's not happening automatically. The conversion to a green economy has to be uh, kick-started by by policy, by governments who put in place incentives for investors, for private businesses to do the right thing. That involves quite a lot of interventions. It involves uh, tackling pollution. It involves putting a price on carbon. It involves supporting clean innovation. It involves supporting energy efficiency. So there's a lot of policy intervention that is needed. Um, But eventually the private sector will pick up these things and, and invest and see the business opportunities in it. Who is leading on these things? On the policy side, there's a lot of countries who have very thoughtful policy regulations. There's no country that has everything. If you ask me who has insightful carbon pricing, I would point at California or British Columbia. If you ask me who is good at, uh, at surface transport, at clean cars, I might point at Norway. If you ask who is good at regulating the financial sector, I might put it, uh, uh, point at France. Um, so it depends a little bit on, on which area you're particularly concerned about.
0: When it comes to firms... Um, if you look at it in a commercial way efforts to tackle climate change are sometimes regarded as coming at the expense of economic success at least in the short run so is there a link between environmentally friendly production methods and a firm's performance uh, can it can I, I it's a different way of putting the same question but can green growth make business sense?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because I only talked about governments and mm. I should talk about uh, what firms are doing because that's very, very important. Um, a lot of firms are sort of seeing the opportunities in the green economy. They're repositioning themselves. There's a huge amount of investment in the car industry, for example, going into electric cars. It's a huge amount of investment going into battery technology. So firms are positioning themselves to taking advantage of those new technologies. And there's a lot of firms that are, you know, defining themselves as that. I uh, probably shouldn't name any names of particular firms, but you all know the firms that are good at the electric cars, the firms that are leading when it comes to battery technology and so on.
0: Unfortunately, whatever success we do have in reducing greenhouse gas emissions through an energy shift and through environmentally friendly production and sending your car to Mars. Um, a certain amount of climate change does now seem inevitable. So in your view, how do we manage the risks?
1: Unfortunately, that's right. We, uh, we have in the Paris Agreement uh, a very ambitious target to reduce uh, climate change to well below two degrees centigrade. uh, That means we have to adapt to at least uh, that uh, one and a half to two degrees centigrade. That doesn't sound like a lot, but it actually is a lot. Coral reefs, glaciers, water systems will be put under immense stress just for that small amount, in inverted commas, small amount of climate change. So we have to adapt to that. Again, private uh, individuals and private decision makers are very good at adapting. We find thriving human and economic systems pr- practically under every climate that we have. Um, so that can be done, but it needs foresight, it needs planning, it needs anticipating what's coming. If we invest in a in a city, if we if you look at China, for example, huge growth along the coastline, um, those are structures that will be there for the next 50, 100, 200 years. So we have to build them with the climate of the next 50, 100 or 200 years in mind.
0: And from your point of view, what are are the future prospects for the green economy and green growth? And what is the role in all this of MDBs like the EBRD?
1: Well, EBRD has a huge role to play. For a start, uh, EBRD is good at helping countries in a deep structural transformation. That's what EBRD was set up to do. It was the transformation from plant to market. We're now talking about the deep structural transformation from conventional to low-carbon growth. Um, it's the same sort of philosophy of, of, of uh, converting uh, economic systems. EBRT is an expert in helping countries doing that, and it has a big role to play with its expertise, but also with its money in helping investing in new capital and in new business processes.
0: In any particular sectors?
1: there is no green economy uh, that is sort of distinct from the conventional economy. It's the whole economy that has to be converted to green production and green products. So it's all sectors that have to become low carbon.
0: Thank you, Sam. There's so much more we could talk about on this fascinating topic, but we have to call it a day there. If you're interested in learning more about this subject, you can find out more on ebrd.com. Meanwhile, share your thoughts with us at EBRD on Twitter and Facebook. Visit iTunes, SoundCloud and ebrd.com forward slash podcast to download previous episodes. Until next time, goodbye.